for it. It's all for one, and it's one for all. Let's go. The time that we all been waiting on The moment all the naysayers been hating on See they been talking down on us and flexing It'll take more than that for you to stop a Houston Texan A lot of teams talking tough and can't back it up But not the boys on Kirby so you can pack it up Reliant Stadium is where you can find us With the whole city of Houston, Texas All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans I am young Ari Gold, and I am joined by my co-host and friend, John Wade, the Garnet Texan. But John, we're we're also uh, joined by our new potential co-host, uh, Brad. Brad, how would you pronounce your last name? Gru, G-R-O-U-X. Okay. It's right. like Jerry W. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to call you Brad, though. Yeah. Yeah. Brad, Brad's going to have to, it's going to stick with Brad. Uh, Brad, welcome to Texans Unfiltered. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, why don't you give a brief introduction to who you are, why you are uh, wanting to be on the podcast, and why you're on the podcast tonight? All right. What's up, uh, Texas Unfiltered crowd? I've uh, been a listener to the podcast for a while now. I saw on uh, the Reddit whenever they landed the Bill O'Brien interview, uh, became a fan then, and uh, been involved in the, the Texan subreddit since its inception back in the day. Uh, born and raised in H-Town, diehard H-Town sports fan. I was an Oilers fan. They left in the 90s whenever I was in junior high. I cried my eyes out like a little girl. And then they were dead to me until the Texans arrived. And uh, so since then, I've been eat, sleeping, and drinking Texans football. Um, it's, been, it's been a rough couple years, but now we see the light. DW4 is here to save, our, save us. So uh, happy to be a part of it. You know, I, I think uh, Texas Unfiltered sets itself apart because um, you, you get deeper than the average podcast and the terrible Houston media when it comes to asking silly questions. Doesn't matter, Brian. You know, so uh, it's great to, to hear uh, what you guys have to say, and I can't wait to uh, hopefully uh, help grow it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with the addition of Brad, we are also going to have the addition of the Texans Unfiltered website that we promised you guys a year and a half ago. Uh, that's coming. Twitch, YouTube, uh, the patron is going to grow. Uh, there'll be more things for patrons. Um, what else, Brad? What, what else am I missing? Discord. Oh, the discord. That's a, that's a big one, Brad. That's, that's one that we need to. So we started a discord specifically for Texans unfiltered. Uh, if you guys are interested in joining, basically what we will use that discord for is weekly Texans chat. Me and John and Brad will be in there to talk about the Texans throughout the week. And on game day, we have a specific game day chat room where we can specifically talk about the game. You guys can ask us questions um, and we will be there to address them and tell you what we see and, uh, and kind of go from there. So um, the discord Texans unfiltered, how, how would we push that Brad? I mean, would they just kind of like search Texans unfiltered? Do they have to click a link? You're, you're the IT guy, even though I work in IT. 
Yeah, so basically what we're going to be doing, we're we adding a links for the uh, video stream, here, you know, for the Text Unfiltered uh, Discord to the website. Also, it'll be on the uh, Twitter page. We're going to add things like the Facebook page and uh, YouTube. Again, we're going to try to push to a live stream, maybe even a video stream here pretty soon. Um, I have some experience with uh, live streaming to Twitch. I play a lot of poker online. Um, and so I have all of the equipment and stuff to get that up and running. So I think we're going to try that and give that a shot. The big thing about discord, I think is in the future, whenever we're doing live streams is we want the audience to engage with us as we're doing it. You know, we all love talk radio. We all listen in, get the hot takes from, uh, whoever's calling in. Um, so it'll give, you know, the fans a, an interactive way, um, to, to be involved with the show and help build our content with. Awesome. And John, I mean, I, we haven't even heard you yet and th- that that's a problem. So John, why don't you tell them about our experience at Maggie Mays yesterday and uh, and how we took in this glorious Houston Texans win. Dude, I'm not going to lie. Probably the best part was just staying off how toxic uh, Texans Twitter can be. Um, then it was just great to get out with a, with a crowd and uh, to see everybody's legitimate reactions, just not the angry hot ticks or hot takes, sorry, on a... Uh, in tweet form. And then you couldn't have picked a better game. It was weird in the first half because we were all at no point during the first half. Did you think the Broncos were even going to be, be in the game? And then in the second half, when they made their comeback, you still kind of felt like the Texans were going to win it up until probably about the end. And based on your reaction alone, I don't think that you thought they were going to win it. No, no, I didn't. I, I literally, no bullshit, uh, closed my eyes, turned away from the TV, and just waited until I heard either a, ah, oh, or a woo, and luckily I heard a woo and a bunch of clapping, and guys were grabbing me. I felt like I was in prison for a second there. I didn't know what was going to happen, so I opened my eyes extremely fast. Um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was definitely one of those experiences, you know, it's, we talked about it yesterday, like going to an experience like that was awesome. It's not something you want to do every week, at least the way that we like to take in the game. But um, it was definitely a lot of fun. A lot of uh, a lot of just it was just fun. It was a great atmosphere. Running game. HTX was there, which is awesome. Copped a couple shirts from them. And um, yeah, it was just it, it was a very good experience. Very fun. I'll, I'll definitely be going back again sometime this season uh, for <laughs> excuse me for any. <laughs> For anybody in Austin, if you guys have not been to Maggie Mays for a Texans game, it is a uh, it's a fun experience. It's it's really cool to get together with a bunch of Texans fans and and take in that the team we love together. A lot of people show up. Uh, it's a huge party, and uh, they give you Jello shots after every touchdown. So it's well worth it. Well worth it. All right. Uh, so let's get into the game. The goods, the bads, the ugly. Lots of goods. Lots of eh, and then just some bads and i think the bads were pretty standout and a lot of that'll go away after the bye but um let's let's hop straight into the offense because that's what we do um Demarius thomas i mean it didn't take but one play for him to just be inserted into the offense and he uh he looked a lot faster in that game than he's looked in the last two seasons in Denver. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on Demarius Thomas and his his introduction to the Texans and, and his first game? And uh, Brad, we'll start with you. I mean, what did you think? I mean, what were your expectations for for Demarius coming in and and uh, how did he how did he meet those expectations? 
you know, I my expectations weren't very high just because the Texas do run a complex offense, um, a lot of route options for the wide receivers especially. Um, so there was a lot of pre-snap, post-snap reads that go into the offense. Uh, this is why I wasn't really high on giving up anything higher than a third. Um, you know, a third or higher for a wide receiver to come in mid-season. I just think it's going to take him at least two or three weeks. And he's a hardworking, you know, he's a hardworking receiver, very humble, you know, there to win. Um, and it's still going to take him at least two or three weeks to get up to speed. We saw that in the second half when he had some false starts. But I thought it was amazing of Bob and the, the rest of the offense to get uh, him involved right off the bat. Um, you know, draw up plays specifically for him just to get the, you know, to basically to surprise the Broncos and also to get, you know, the butterflies out of his stomach and hopefully uh, uh, stretch the field a little bit. And they did just that. Yeah. Yeah. And John, we, t- we talked, you know, last week about the, the trade and, and we, we said that we would do an emergency podcast if it was a, a big enough trade. And uh, neither one of us thought that the, the Demarius Thomas trade was going to warrant it. Uh, we talked about it the night before. I think there were some things that we may have overlooked when it came to the trade for Demarius uh, that we didn't maybe talk about last last week. And I think one of the big things is the his willingness to be a good blocker, which most fans aren't going to want to hear. They don't want to hear from uh, us about a wide receiver blocking because then they have that Kevin Walter flashback, and, and that's all they ever heard was about Kevin Walter being a great blocker. Uh, but the, the difference is Demarius Thomas is a playmaker – but on top of that, he is a willing blocker and he is a good blocker. And we saw it yesterday on multiple screens where he made a difference. And those screens actually, I think every screen was a positive, were, were gain, gain, we gained positive yards. So, I mean, what what are your thoughts on Demarius? I, I think that you're kind of in my boat now. I think we're starting to come around to the fact that this guy's going to help our team. But um, what, do, what are you thinking? Well, to start off, you're exactly right. We did kind of ignore the fact that Demarius, he's... He's a he's a specimen. He's a he's he's a unit. He's a very big guy. Everybody always talked about how Will Fuller was a willing blocker, but not necessarily an effective blocker. And it's kind of crazy that um, DT comes in and all of a sudden we can run wide receiver screens. I think that you may have hit on Twitter kind of the right point. We were kind of underestimating the the impact that a quarterback would play on him. He's still a smart receiver. He's still a professional receiver. Part of my concern, though, is the Bill O'Brien offense does put a lot of stress on receivers themselves to kind of understand their routes. Now, it's based upon like air raid principles where if the guy's got inside technique on you, you run outside. It's kind of simple, but it's also I'm afraid of a new receiver falling into that same trap that uh, your boy Braxton Miller always did, where he was just off enough on the routes that the quarterbacks never found him. Now, Demarius Thomas, the hope is he's enough of a professional and he's enough of an athlete. That they'll kind of scheme that away. Um, Bill O'Brien did a great, great job of his first, usually they script the first 15 plays. This is what we're going to do and made sure to really focus on him. So the Broncos would have to pay attention to him the rest of the game. So it'll it'll be very interesting going forward. I hope that they don't just script everything to Hop. Granted, Hopkins is honestly the best receiver in the game right now, so it's really not the end of the world if they do. But Demarius Thomas should be enough to just take that pressure off him, and that's really all we needed from him. Plus, you know, a willing blocker. Yeah, no, and, and, and the willing blocker part, like I said, fans don't want to hear that, but that's going to be a big part of this game. I mean, 
we're, we're, do, we're doing a lot of misdirections, a lot of outside runs. When you have a wide receiver that can block the way that Demarius Thomas can, it's going to open things up quite a bit. Add to the fact that Jordan Thomas is becoming a player altogether, um, not just from a receiving standpoint, from a blocking standpoint. I'm sure both of you guys saw him lay Vaughn Miller straight on his ass uh, when he was going against uh, Kendall Lamb. But um, yeah, no, I think... I think you're right, Brad. I think it's going to take a couple of weeks, but I think the one thing that we have going for us with Demirius is he's ran similar offenses in the past. Uh, he was there with Josh McDaniels. Adam Gase runs a very similar offense. So I think he's going to get up to speed rather quickly. I, obviously in a four day span, he's going to have some, some situations like he did on Sunday with the false starts and not knowing where he needs to be. But this bye week couldn't have come at a better time specifically for Demarius Thomas, but more for the team in general. And we'll get into that later on in the podcast. But um, I, I think Demarius Thomas now after this game and just showing that he, he can still be the player that he was, which for me was really the biggest question. Um, was a lot of it the quarterback play the last three years or was a lot of it just Demarius Thomas was declining? And I don't think it's that Demarius Thomas is declining. I, I just think that the quarterbacks that they've had have not been good. Um, Case is average, but prior to that, they were below average. And I'm hoping that we can get the Demarius Thomas that we saw with Peyton uh, maybe not to that level, but pretty close. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's going to work out uh, really well for this team. And hopefully we have, hopefully it's a, it, it works out to the point to where we're wondering, should we keep them around with that $14 million option next year? Or do we decide to cut him? So, yeah, but what, why can't it, why can't it be both? Why can't it be a little bit of him, you know, getting a little bit older combined with playing with a bad quarterback? This is one of those where players age. I mean, it's not necessarily saying that he's going to fall off the place of the planet. We don't need him to be the Demarius Thomas that he was three years ago. We just need him to be an above-average receiver that is on the field. Heck, we just need an average receiver if he's on the field at this point. Yeah, that brings up a good point. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys look at the box scores, but we only had two wide receivers catch passes yesterday, uh, Demarius Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, you know, we had a couple of passes um, to the tight ends and a couple of the Miller, but other than that, the passing game was all D-hop. Um, and I think that's the big thing where Maris Thomas can make a difference. And it's good that you brought up his blocking because we have uh, two young tight ends that I see a great future with that they need to become full. We know we've had these tight ends that could block or they could catch, catch passes. They couldn't do the whole shebang. And I think, you know, having that leader there um, to help lead them, guide them. And is a big bodied receiver. So he's not a tight end. He doesn't play the same position, but there's still plenty of uh, knowledge transfer that he can have and he can help those guys get up to the speed where they need to be. Obviously our offensive line needs all the help blocking that they can get. So anyone who's a good blocker that's added to this offense, I'm not going to complain about. And my biggest thing, I'm not sure if you guys saw his post-game presser, but you know, you know, the Houston media as again, you know, just, you know, asking about how he felt about the Broncos and things like that. And after three or four questions, he literally stopped in their tracks and goes, look, no disrespect to the Broncos, but it's not about them right now. It's about us, the Houston Texans. And, you know, that was the majority of his presser. And I think that's exactly what Bill O'Brien looks for in the front office. Obviously the Texans are a, uh, like to pride themselves on being the upstanding organization with true leaders and things like that. So I think he's going to fit in really well. And I think, um, you know, he had high praise for Deshaun Watson as well, saying that, you know, what we've all heard from everybody else, he just, he, nothing phases him, right? He's never, he's never stressed. He's never worried. He's out there smiling as Vaughn Miller's, you know, lunging over his head as he's diving for a seven yard run. I mean, it's just, uh, I think he's going to be a great fit for the team. 
I agree. No, I agree. And only time will tell how that continues to to go. And I, I think it'll continue to, to, to trend upwards, honestly. Um, all right, let's get into the offensive line. Um, look, another good showing by the offensive line altogether, uh, besides that one play where Martinez Rankins had to come in for Kendall Lamb and Von Miller just decided to push him around like a ragdoll and completely beat his ass to the ground. One play? You mean two plays? How can you forget um, Martin getting a sack? Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, – I mean, Martinez Rankins needs to be a guard. Zerloin uh, – Lance Zerloin was right. He, he, is, he is built to be on the inside of the offensive line and – um, I, I think that eventually that'll be where we put him because if Lamb continues to trend the way that he's going, I feel like we actually have a tackle uh, for the future. And it just speaks to Mike Devlin, which we talked about last week, uh, being able to develop Kendall Lamb. But uh, I mean, altogether, the line looked great. Senio Calamente continues to get these little nagging injuries. I'd like to point out that we're, I'd like to point out that we're honestly at the point where we were wanting Kendall Lamb to be not only not hurt, but hurry up and get back in the game. How ridiculous is that? Yeah, no, it's huge. He was last year. As much as we want to, as much as we want to trash Devlin, I mean, you got to get, no, I agree. Credit I agree a hundred percent. I mean, we, we talked about it in length last week. The, Kendall Lamb was the only player you have ever, 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 ever trashed in a way that I've, I've, I I never would have expected. And look, it just speaks to the league in general. It takes time for players to get acclimated and it takes time for them to develop into what they want, uh, what, what the coaches are wanting them to be. And Kendall Lamb is that exact tackle right now. I mean, we've, we gave him two a year on the practice squad, half the season last year, we pulled him up because God, our offensive line was bad last year too. And he looked like just a, turnstile at the tackle position and then this year his footwork has gotten better his handwork has gotten better he just looks like a completely different player and uh yeah i mean you're exactly right like who would have thought last year at this point we would be saying god hurry up and put candle lamb back in because martinez rankin is hot god awful but it's not even that rankins is awful it's just the same thing as lamb he just doesn't have a lot of snaps and he's getting used to uh being in the nfl so um yeah, it, it's it's a very good thing to have, and if Davenport and Lamb continue, um, this this offensive line is going to get better. We've been saying that the interior of, of the offensive line isn't an issue. We haven't seen many problems from them. I mean, Fulton had one bad game or had one bad one pretty bad snap yesterday. Nick Martin with that stupid play where he basically ran backwards and let Lamar Miller bounce straight into his chest or Deshaun Watson. I forgot which play it was. If it was Deshaun or or Lamar Miller, but it was uh, it was just an awful play. But other than that, the offensive line is looking like a unit, and uh, let's just hope that this continues. I mean, the schedule dictates, other than the Jags and the Eagles, we should be able to keep Deshaun upright for most of the rest of the season. Yeah, and I also want to add that, you know, you know, a lot of people may look at the offensive line and go, you know, we only had 98 yards rushing. What happened? You know, it wasn't a great game. But you have to also realize that the uh, Broncos were stacking the box. We had no deep threat, right? They knew we had no deep threat. We had two real wide receivers in the game yesterday that we that we trusted with uh, Kiki out and uh, obviously with the loss of Fuller. Um, and then uh, Damaris Thomas only having a couple of days to get to get with the offense. So, like, 
people understand people get upset, you know, running right up the gut first down, things like that. But, um, you know, Bill O'Brien has proven that he's going to slow the offensive down whenever uh, Deshaun Watson doesn't have the tools to get the job done how he knows he can get it done. And he's proven that he'll he can win that way. They're dirty, ugly wins. And of course, we, you know, had the uh, Broncos, you know, last final drive gone as it probably should have gone we probably would have lost but also we could go back that you know the final drive whenever uh Deshaun threw a little bit behind uh DeAndre Hopkins on the third down um that he would have been wide open that they could have grounded out the clock I think it's I think it's a testament to the offense that that they're grinding through these tough games I mean that Denver front seven is not an easy Denver not an easy uh front seven to block and uh, they gave it four sacks the offensive line but I think we could we can easily say that three of those are pretty much on uh, Deshaun, and that's just again those growing pains and holding on the ball and wanting to make plays. And so I agree that this offensive line looks a lot better overall than they really show up on paper. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree 100. percent Let's just hope that it continues to trend the way that that we're hoping so that or the way it's looking. Uh, wide receivers, I mean, not too much to spend, obviously, with just uh, with Demarius and DeAndre. But God, DeAndre is just so good, dude. And like, I know he didn't have like a crazy circus catch, but like that that catch where he actually fumbled out of bounds. Like he's, his hands are just like pure magic. Like I'm honestly wondering if the refs need to start checking to see if there's a magnet inside the football and in his gloves, because he is the best hands catcher I've ever seen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He fumbled it. Well, yeah, I know. That's what I said. (laughs) <laughs> so he can't have a magnet in there. He fumbled it. That's nah, all. Nah, him, doesn't dude. matter, Brian. First down, Brian. Yeah, no, 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 no. The the <laughs> magnet broke. That's all him. That's magnet, all hop. That is all broke, hop. John. And he is uh, the man upstairs. And him. we are back to the largest hands I've ever seen. Have you ever <laughs> seen a picture of his hands around a football? It's literally the crazy. Yeah, he has to. He has to cut his gloves. They don't make gloves big enough for him to fit. Like that's. It's craziness, but I mean, it, we're back to him being our, our offense. Like, honestly, we're more screwed if Hop gets hurt than anybody else. Oh, yeah. Oh, agreed. I agree. I mean, we, we know that for, for sure. Uh, there's really not too much to spend on, on the wide receivers. We know what we have. Uh, once we get to the bye week and what we can expect moving forward, it, it'll be it'll be great, but does anybody have any idea whatever happened to Tyler Irvin running uh, routes? He seemed like he was doing a pretty good job of it. And then they just forgot that he existed. Is he in the Bill O'Brien doghouse that every wide receiver tends to be in that just can't stay healthy or something like, is he in the Braxton Miller doghouse and Jalen strong doghouse? Because I, I really don't understand the logic of not using him in the Kiki role. It, it really doesn't make much sense. I mean, he's faster than Kiki. He's obviously not going to be as good of a route runner, but I mean, you can definitely use him on those options and, and and wheel routes and all those other things that we did with Kiki and we're just not doing it. And I don't understand why it's almost like Bill said, look, we can get through this game without it. So we don't need to do it. But I mean, I, I would think that it would make sense to have him ready to go for these specific plays to help take some of the pressure off of everybody else. But for some reason, Bob is not using Tyler Irvin again, and it it's so frustrating. Do you know who Matt Kelly is with uh, Roto Underworld? No. He's a guy that he actually made a little bit of money writing uh, formulas for baseball, and then he decided to flip that over into fantasy football. Now he does like a fantasy football 
podcast, and it's entirely about analytics. His whole shtick is he doesn't watch the game. Now, based entirely by his methods, by his analytics, and which he kind of takes like the Nike Spark score, he takes college production, then he takes expected production, and finds players that are comparable. And that he also does predictions based on if a player got a certain amount of touches and so forth. According to him, our most effective running back should be Tyler Irvin. And so he then spends uh, time railing against the Houston uh, Texans uh, coaching staff because, according to him, they completely ignore their best running back. They never give him any touches, and they continue to use Lamar Miller as a fake bell cow. Granted, you've heard my opinions on Lamar Miller. It's not that I dislike him. I just think that we don't always use them correctly. So naturally, when somebody's saying something or kind of reinforcing something that you've already said, you always find a little bit of credence toward, towards it. But I just thought that was crazy, crazy interesting that this is kind of what we've been screaming, give him more touches. And a guy that doesn't watch games just pulls up analytics. It's like, hey, that guy's y'all's actual best running back. And I kind of have a hot take on on this whole offensive scenario and why uh, it's kind of ugly right right now. And um, I saw a great stat that in, in the last – you know, over the last four games, Deshaun Watson has been held to under 240 passing yards over 44 games. But during that time, he has a 92 touchdown to interception ratio. Before that, it was the total opposite direction. And I think Bill O'Brien knows as long as Deshaun Watson doesn't have the tools he needs to, um, he knows if he gets a lot of five, seven step drops that uh, Deshaun's going to make some mistakes, like trying to make plays like he did with this couple of sacks the other uh, yesterday. Um, so I really do think that he's just going with his gut and knowing what, will, knowing what works and trusting the defense is going to do its job. And I think if and when, you know, the offense gets fully healthy, we get Kiki back, um, we get actual um, output from other wide receivers, I think we may see something different. But I think he's completely content, and, and I understand Houston fans not liking it, but grinding out wins, uh, making few, and being, you know, risk adverse. And it's not fun football to watch. We've seen, you know, Deshaun put up 40 points many, many times. Uh, but at the same time, in these games, time and time again, Watson's making fewer and fewer errors. And I think that's his, you know, he's a quarterback, quarterback whisperer. And I think that's what he's just trying to teach uh, patience and perseverance and things like that to Watson. Uh, that's my hot take, at least. Um, I truly understand how people get uh, frustrated with, you know, first down runs up the middle 17 or 26 times. And, um, you know, the, the two yard average on those carries, you know, and things like that. Uh, but that's just my, my, how I feel he's probably. Doing. No, I don't, I actually don't, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I just, for me, it's always been weird where we, sometimes I, it goes back to a rant I had earlier this year about not having enough coaches. I don't think we do enough self-scouting sometimes because we continue to do things that are ineffective. Now, typically with the Bill O'Brien offense and his defense Deshaun probably goes up to the line and he has a, a pass play and a run play and the defense is showing him something to call him to run just my issue has always been the running back that we have out there on first down may not always be the best fit it may not be Tyler Irvin I'm not saying that it is I'm just saying that using Lamar Miller to run up the middle when they see something that's advantageous to running probably not the best idea because he usually does better when he's stretched out to the zone or put into space and on those dump out passes, which we seem to underutilize. And I fully agree that Tyler Irwin couldn't have done any worse yesterday. You know, Alfred Blue had 15 carries for 2.6 yards uh, per carry and Lamar Miller had 12 carries for 1.8. Um, and the people, I just remember being in the game thread and people 
blasting blue and he ended up with a better game than Lamar Miller. They both really, really struggled. Um, and I don't think the play calling helped any. Um, you know, I really do think they were just running to uh, enable the the throw, the passing game as much as they can. Um, but I, I, I do believe as well that they can be more dynamic with their run run play calling um, inside the tackles. I think if it's not working, especially on a team as dynamic as uh, the front seven of the Broncos, that they can stretch the field a little bit laterally. Yeah, and for full disclosure, uh, Brad, just so that the, the the listeners know, you are a true Bob apologist. I I think he's a tremendous coach. I don't think he's perfect. Um, it was great to see him finally get clock management right at the end of the first half last night. Um, he does make mistakes. I don't, but I, the people that fire Bob, let's get it over. It was like, we finally have our franchise quarterback. We've been praying for, for 17 years or, you know, and, and he's a quarter true quarterback coach. Um, and we've seen what he can do. That quarterback can do in this system when the top's taken off, we've seen 35 point games. We've seen 42 point games. Um, we see the potential at the same time is going to have some setbacks because Deshaun Watson is a gunslinger. He is a Brett Favre in every sense of the word with just way more skill. <laughs> and so I think, I think we just need to be patient. When people were freaking out when it was 0-3, I know good coaching that even if they muster out an 8-8, eight eight, people they might be happy, but it just shows, you know, last year was the aberration. And this, you know, the fact that he's 9-7 and seven with 17 quarterbacks for three straight years. Um, I understand people tired of mediocrity. I am too. But resetting the coaching staff, right now whenever we're set to win now with the contracts we have now i think is just uh, a detriment to the long term of the team especially the growth of deshaun watson no i agree and me and john are in the same boat i mean we agree we, we both believe in bob it was definitely very hard for the first three games of the season i had some moments of of uh some very very dark moments that i don't ever want to visit again but um I do think that B.O.B. can do what we are wanting to do, which is eventually lead us to the promised land. But uh, I just wanted to make sure that people knew that you are a true like Bob lover. Um, yeah. If you're going to bring the Bob hate, you better bring some stats and statistics. You know, the, I, I will always the 27 and one at a halftime lead is amazing. Uh, it's a truly crazy statistic. And it could have been it should have been 26 and two last, after last yesterday's game. But uh, once he gets a lead, he knows now to slow the game down and get that W. And I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, it's working right now. We're on a six-game winning streak, so I have no complaints with Bob right now. I mean, there are some things that I'd like to see changed, and maybe we will after the bye week. But uh, let's get into these tight ends. Look, why the fuck is Ryan Griffin even on the field? Like, honestly. Like, ask yourself that question. Close your eyes and imagine Ryan Griffin on the field when you have two young tight ends that are very, very good. Ryan Griffin should not be on the field. He is not a good blocker. He's not even as good of a blocker as Jordan Thomas is in his rookie year. Uh, Ryan Griffin should not be on the field, and Jordan Thomas continues to show that he can get separation and is turning into a very, very, very solid tight end. And this group... And John, we talked about it during the offseason when, when when they drafted both. We were really excited about both of them. Me more than about Akins. And right now I'm looking like I'm wrong. But uh these tight ends are really, really good, John. Like there there's no reason for Ryan Griffin to be on the well, field. What the I hell mean, is going on? Ryan Griffin is marginally a better blocker. Marginally. Uh Jordan Thomas has the unique advantage that he is, I don't know, superhuman. He's a, maybe a real life mutant. Like you're not supposed to be as big as a tackle and move the way that he does. Like he's, he's got a lot of potential in this league. Uh, 
And he looks like a better blocker sometimes than Ryan Griffin because all he has to do is kind of look at some of these defensive ends and and they're going to try and, you know, go the other direction. Ryan Griffin kind of knows the scheme a little bit better than Aikens. And this is kind of like, it's this bullshit that we always tend to play where we don't trust rookies to develop on the field. It's They want to see them develop and practice and over the course of the year where at this point, the difference is so marginal. Just let the rookies play. Let the rookies make mistakes. It looks like we are going to go to the, we should go to the playoffs at this point. We are, it's almost like knock on wood because you never know what's going to happen in the NFL. Just as easily as we won six straight, we could lose six straight. But if all things continue and we should go to the playoffs and let tight ends figure it out now that way we're in the playoffs and we have to go up against the Patriots and the Chiefs and we have to have multiple weapons firing because I can tell you right now us relying entirely on Watson to hop is not going to beat the Patriots might beat the Chiefs the Chiefs can't play defense but it's definitely not going to beat the Patriots during the playoffs yeah and the one area that I will criticize Bob on is not utilizing our tight ends more I don't think we've ever really done that uh, the way we should obviously we've had some pretty shaky tight ends in the past um, you know, I will say that Griffin did have one pretty clutch catch yesterday, um, on the, uh, at the end of the, the first half, um, he had the, the catch right before nuke. Um, I think what, whenever I'm seeing Griffin play over Thomas and Akins, it's in more clutch time. Uh, I think he, Bob just trusts him not to get a hold or not to get a false start or something along those lines in those clutch situations. I think it's clear that Thomas and Akins are the future. Uh, Akins led all tight ends with three targets, no catches, but three targets yesterday. Um, so, you know, I think just, just kind of, you know, over the next few games, I would say, you know, just, uh, watch Griffin and I'm betting that most of the time he's in there and the more crucial downs and crucial distances, um, just because again, like you said, there's just, uh, there's just that slight edge and, um, you know, that could just make the difference of not getting a silly false start or something along those. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. You learn with, you learn by making mistakes. I mean, that's just the way of the world. And, uh, I'd rather get those mistakes out of the way now than in, in the playoffs. And I, I I understand Ryan Griffin is is an average tight end, and I I totally agree that you know there are times where he is he should be on the field. I guess he can make an argument for it, but uh, he's he's probably not going to be on our team next year. And Jordan Thomas and Jordan Aikens are the future. And if that's the case, and we're we're wanting them to build the chemistry with Deshaun, then he, they need to be on the field more. I mean, they should be dominating the snaps and. Uh, I just feel like for what this team is looking to do on offense, uh, you can tell that the tight ends are becoming a focus and it's starting to trend that way, but we can't reach what we need to reach if they're not on the field as much as they should be. And I like Ryan Griffin. I think Ryan Griffin's good. And I, I like CJ Fedorowicz a lot. And I think if CJ would have not gotten uh, all the head drama, head trauma, then we probably would have not had the issue where we needed to draft both of these guys. But um, I, I still just think that both players deserve to be on the field over Ryan Griffin and, and uh, it may happen back. if you, uh, if you look at what happened with Bill O'Brien with, uh, Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski, he didn't, they didn't really have any targets or any usage until after the bye week on the rookie season. So we, it, it may change. He, they may do something over the next week. He may watch tape. And kind of figured, you know what? It's time to let these guys play. Well, and, well, and with the lack of uh, output by wide receivers, I think they're going to be Deshaun's safety valve throughout the rest of the season, especially if uh, Foreman doesn't come back and produce out, uh, you know, 
in the passing game like he did last year. Just, you know, Achilles is a tough injury to come back from. Um, so I think for us to be successful um, through the rest of the season, not even mention the playoffs, I think the tight ends. And I do agree that the, the, we should roll with the future. Um, and instead of focusing on the past, I'm cool with Griffin being in there for, for crucial downs every now and then. But uh, I think that, you know, the first team snaps should be going to Thomas and Aikens whenever they, uh, at this point, Thomas with uh, Aikens kind of looking on the outside looking in uh, and, and roll from there. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I, it's a good problem to have, uh, but at the end of the day, it's how you uh, solve that problem. So uh, let's get to Deshaun. Deshaun had a good game. Uh, definitely didn't have like, an amazing game uh, to what we're used to from what Deshaun is in an amazing game, but uh, did, did, did enough to win uh, was solid. Uh, the most important thing I took out of the game was uh, he's obviously sliding now <laughs> and he's obviously sliding a lot more and he's stepping out of bounds sooner uh, than like that first down or that play where he was like a yard short on the, on the first down, you know, Week two, he probably would have tried to spin out of that and get the first down. Now he's realizing that that he can't do that. Um, so if if this continues, all those RG three conversations need to just go away completely because it looks like he's learning that he can't take the beating that he has taken in the past. And he he had a solid game. I mean, to to not have Kiki and 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 literally no other wide receivers but Demarius and and DeAndre. Um, he, he had a solid game. He's got to learn to get rid of the ball. Uh, he can't just sit back there and expect to make plays with his feet. Uh, a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that he doesn't fully trust the offensive line yet. I, I think he's getting there, but um, he's looking comfortable. I, I'm pretty sure he's over the ACL now. He looks like he trusts his leg. And um, I think this bye week is going to be very telling for what we can expect from the offense moving forward. But I mean, what did you guys think of uh, John? what did you think of Deshaun's game and, what do you expect, you know, do you expect him to continue to protect his body and, and being smart about it? There's, he's definitely improving as a player. He's the three of the four sacks were definitely on him. And it's still, they're still kind of frustrating because he wasn't protecting himself. If he had thrown the ball away, would probably have been smarter, but at least he wasn't trying to do hero throws. We're, I mean, as a team, it's it's the truth. I was talking about Hop being the most important offensive player, but I mean that's always excluding Deshaun. We're we're going wherever Deshaun takes us, and right now they've kind of ratcheted him down to Russell Wilson first first season, first two season, where they're trying to protect him a little bit more with the running. Uh, we're actually not doing any RPOs. Um, we're not doing any any out of shotgun run options. It looks like he's taken a page out of Kubiak's playbook, and it's a lot more play actions and bootlegs, which has been very, very interesting. Um, I really wish I knew what sort of control that Bill O'Brien is giving Deshaun Watson at the line of scrimmage. Again, I, based on just reading quotes and everything, I honestly believe that he's giving him quite a bit of control at the line of scrimmage especially since that was one of the things that he loved the most out of Clemson. I've brought it up before. Bill O'Brien loved the fact that Deshaun had more responsibilities at the line of scrimmage than almost any other quarterback in college football when they drafted him. So a lot of the, I I brought it up even earlier in this podcast, a lot of the anger that we get at Bill O'Brien for running it up the middle. I also think that may be a little bit more on Deshaun. He's still kind of getting fooled a little bit by defenses but he's so talented that it, it also, most of the time it doesn't even matter 
when he's actually passing the ball. But we'll see. I mean, we'll just continue to watch him, continue to see how it goes. Right now, we're doing a, they're doing a much better job of not making Deshaun win the game for us. And he's obviously more than talented enough not to lose the games for us. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I think Deshaun is, is still evolving. Like he just completed his first season pretty much. He played 16 games. Um, so, you know, it, it's going to take still some more time. We're basically now at, at the time where the sophomore slump starts. Um, and I don't expect really to see one from him because of his experience now and, and kind of where he's at and coming back from the injury. But uh, it, it's definitely look, we we know that Deshaun is the franchise. We know that Deshaun is the future. He's just got little things that he needs to clean up. He needs to make sure that his mechanics don't slip. Like Jordan said in the interview, you know, that's the biggest thing for any of the quarterbacks is to make sure that you always stick to your mechanics um, and and they'll get you as far as you want to go. But uh, Deshaun's definitely, definitely just uh, developing in a way that, that we're hoping. So it's, it's nice to see it obviously never having, a quarterback. Uh, I mean, we had Shaw, but other than that, like we've never really had a, this kind of talent at the quarterback position. So it's, uh, it's nice to see. So um, with the defense now, I see that, uh, I see that John, you, you put in a little note there. Maybe we need to start to consider that we may have to franchise tag one of the players um, whether it be Kareem or Tyron and then uh, sign Clowney. Um, and then I like how you put here, but James did say that Kareem is our best defensive player. Let me go ahead and clarify. Kareem Jackson is the best defensive player on this team right now. There's no, there's really no argument. Kareem. I, I, I agree with that. You, um, you can't argue it, but is he the most important, but he's the most important. It depends. We need tackles. All right. So to me, the, the defensive MVP yesterday was, uh, was, was Reed. Like he just he he led the team in tackles. He had ten tackles, nine solo. He filled in for Cunningham. You know we we saw you know once they got to the second level, we just couldn't get tackles. Um, we couldn't make we couldn't guard their tight ends for anything because uh, we had McKinney in coverage and that he did the best that he could. God bless him. Uh, but they just tore us apart with their tight ends. Um, and I don't think if Reed Matthew stepped up with uh, I think six tackles uh, and the cream had four. Obviously he had the crushing blow, one of the best what JJ called Watt called the hardest hit he's ever seen. Um, and so I, I think we're, we, we have a uh, wealth of riches on the defensive side of the ball right now, even with the injuries. Um, and Justin Reed, I just, I love the guy. I follow him on Twitter and I just love uh, throwing quotes at him. You know, the, the draft experts were wrong. He's, he's a third round pick playing like a first round pick. And uh, it's just great to see him. I do agree that Kareem is, uh, I, I think Cunningham is the most important person on the team just because of his tackles. But if he's not in there, I think Kareem is the, definitely the best player on the defense right now. You know, it's crazy about Reed. Coming out of Stanford, apparently he wouldn't be able to tackle in the NFL. I think he's been the best rookie tackling at any defensive position. He's got one of the highest tackle rates for a rookie ever. And just to come out as a rookie on the Texans, and you know how we are with our rookies here, and to make the sort of impact that he is and playing as many snaps as he is, it's just, it's just awesome. Um, it's crazy. Who would have thought talking about our safeties? We just were loaded at safety right now. And it is a little bit of hyperbole, but at this rate, we've got to resign Kareem and Matthew. I, I mean, 
at the beginning of the year, we didn't think that that would be too much of an issue. It was just what sort of commitment would they have to make? Now, we're still going to have to use the franchise tag on Clowney. It's just he's a pass rusher. It is what it is. But Kareem really has made quite a case to be the defensive MVP. doesn't matter what our pass rush looks like if we don't have him in the backfield. And I think that a lot of that actually goes back to – I actually credit a lot of it, his development to Tyron Matthew. Matthew's just taken ownership of, of, of the secondary and of the defense as a leader. I mean, you would have never known that he's only been on the Texans for nine games. This The defense looks like it's kind of been molded after him. And it's just been awesome, awesome to watch. It makes us losing Swearinger a lot less painful now that Swearinger's the best safety in the league. Ah, I don't know about that, dude. Don't you look at don't you look at uh don't you look at Pro Football Focus? According to them, he's the best safety in the league. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I take PFF, PFF grades uh, to uh, they're very minimal in my uh, impressions of players, but more it's about the tape. But uh, I don't think DJ Swanger is even close to the best safety in the league. But either way, um, I, I do think Kareem Jackson is the MVP of the defense on this team so far through nine games, and and I think. His presence is being felt uh, it, play in and play out. I mean, the, the guy is definitely making his impact felt. And, uh, you know, if, if it came down to it, you know, I brought this up yesterday when we were at Maggie Mays. If it came down to it and we had to sign either one Kareem Jackson or to the Honey Badger, um, I think right now you have to sign Kareem over the Honey Badger. And I know a lot of people would be like, oh, my God, what? But, like, if you take away the name of the Honey Badger and just went off of the film alone, um, it's Kareem Jackson, hand down, hands down, and and Kareem's really making his presence known on every play, and we we need that, we need that, and Justin Reed's turning into a player, like Brad said. So with that being said, I mean, it's not that you can afford to lose the Honey Badger because nobody wants to lose a guy like that, uh, but when it comes to the books and what we need to do on this team and how we're going to address some of the other needs that we may have. Um, I think he becomes somewhat expendable at that point. And I know a lot of fans are, are going to hate me for that. And they love the Honey Badger. And I do too. I love the pregame speeches, all of those good things, and giving the the, the, the um, game ball to B.O.B. and things like that. But I think right now, Kareem Jackson's just playing at a whole nother level. And I think if you lose him on this defense, you're, you're going to notice him a lot more than you would notice the Honey Badger. And his versatility is what sets him apart, right? The fact that he can move back and forth so easily between safety and corner, which we would have never thought would have happened with Kareem two or three years ago. Um, I still remember whenever he was drafted, people thought he was going to be a bust. You know, he had his he had his ups and downs. But I, I think we also can't undersell, you know, the leadership Honey Badger uh, has brought because, as John alluded to, like what's changed between last year and this year with our safeties? We've added Honey Badger, and all of a sudden we have this amazing play, amazingly consistent play out of our, our safeties, um, you know, and I think it's the, he's the perfect person for both, well, Kareem Jackson and Honey Badger, the perfect people for Reed to learn from and uh, Colvin and those sorts of guys. But, I mean, the wealth of riches we have there, if you look at linebacker, oh, it's, it's a wasteland right now without Cunningham. Um, you know, that was where we struggled yesterday. The only reason that game was close, in my opinion, was the tight ends and our lack of uh, play out of anybody not named McKinney at linebacker. Scarlett Peters, Kai's Ojafor. I think Ojafor had a good tip at one point in the game, but they literally, 
Uh, you know, McKinney had more tackles than the rest of the linebackers combined. Uh, that just says a lot. It's kind of ridiculous that Peters is actually a converted safety. He was a big safety from college, and he was supposed to be – he was entirely signed originally to come in and be our coverage linebacker. He still can't cover. He's he's a fine special team player, but he still just can't cover to save his life at, on defense, and I don't get it. I mean, this is a guy that played safety. He should know how. And McKinney, when he's the only linebacker that we had out there that was – any sort of reliable in any form or fashion, yeah, he's going to get picked on. He can't cover tight ends and running backs, especially out wide. And it didn't take a genius for an offensive coordinator to realize, hey, go match up a tight end on the outside, have McKinney follow him, and throw the ball to him. Hell, I could have figured that out. Yeah, no, look – Everybody knows anybody that listens to this podcast knows that that Zach Cunningham is is um, he's a big part of this defense. He's somebody that me and uh, John have loved uh, from the time that we drafted him. Uh, he's definitely had his issues with coverage and a lot of that has to do with just getting back up to the NFL speeds and things like that. But uh, he's shown that he's developing and he's showing that he can cover. Uh, but more importantly, he's also shown that he can stuff the run. So him and BMAC are going to be great. I think the one part that people are are leaving out is the fact that potentially Dylan Cole could be coming back at some point. Um, I think Dylan Cole is another piece to this defense that is needed right now um, because he can do it all as well. So um, and we talked about coming into the season that our linebackers were going to be our strongest, the strongest point of our defense. And um, unfortunately that hasn't been the case with BMAC disappearing for the four, first four games of the season. And now with Cunningham being out, but, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens after the bye. Uh, let's get to these corners because I do think that there's a conversation to be had about Jamerson, uh, and, and the impact of Jonathan Joseph not being there. I mean, we didn't see it too much yesterday, but, uh, I really want to see what this kid Jamerson continues to, to show because he's, he's been pretty good. And, and so is Sharice Wright. Honestly, both of those guys yesterday had a pretty solid game. I know Jamerson had some moments, but uh, it's kind of expected considering he was a fifth-round pick for the Saints. But, uh, John, what are your thoughts on the corners and 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 the way – I mean, that's Sharice right play on, on Sutton in the end zone. I mean, we were both watching it at first. We were like, dude, why are you why are you waving your hands? And then they showed the replay, and it was like, oh, he knocked that ball out of his hands. Yeah, I mean, Sharice Wright's just making a solid veteran to play there. Uh, you go from one minute – He's living up to his name, Chard Reese, right? To the next minute, him actually using his hands and and breaking up the pass. Even though, I mean, he was burnt, but that's what a veteran will do, and that's why they brought him in. And Natrell Jamerson, he was drafted by the Saints, and obviously it looks like the uh, Saints have a pretty good team, so they didn't have room for him. But he's looks like he's developing for us. I mean, just getting forced into playing time would it look like he would be more of a special teams type player? And again, he looks solid. It's going to be interesting to see what the team looks like when all the guys start coming back from injuries because there's quite a few guys that will be part of the rotation that will actually have a little bit more depth. I mean, even Mike Tyson, uh, champ out there looking looking like a, a pretty decent player. It's, I think it, And I think it honestly kind of goes back and it just all starts with Matthew and Jackson. The way those two kind of pair off each other and they're able to rotate those two around it kind of brings up the rest of the level of the secondary. Again, all we 
once we signed Matthew, that's all we ever wanted was just a, somebody that could go out and play basic fundamental corner, not have to do too much, not have to do too little. And they're getting it from guys that you wouldn't even expect it. And then considering the fact that like the corner position was definitely like one of our biggest concerns, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with J. Joe and uh, Aaron Colvin come back after the bye. Because uh, J.J. is quietly having uh, one of his better seasons as a Texan, and, and and it's extremely nice to see considering how many people last year were talking about how he lost the step and, and weren't taking into consideration the fact that our pass rush was pretty much non-existent. So um, it, it's going to be very interesting with a lot of decisions to be made, but uh, it, it's nice to see that the corners aren't necessarily a liability when they're on the field. So, um, all right, so D-line, look, uh, we know Clowney had uh, you know a splash play. He was obviously, as everybody's going to say, disruptive and blah, 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 because that's what they say about Klein. He's double teamed on every play and all this other stuff. But the inconsistency for me for Jadavion is a, is a problem. I, I know that that's like soul crushing for some people, including John, that I expect a uh, elite pass rusher to be sh- showing up to every game and making his presence known. And if you watch the film, yes, there are times where his presence is known, but then there's times when he's on the field and it's like he's not even there. And that all goes back to the issues I have with Jadavian Clowney is the fact that he is not a consistent player. And if, if he's going to get paid or franchise tagged, he needs to at least be consistent. Uh, a lot of that does have to do with the fact that we do move him around. He doesn't play just with his hands in the dirt. You know, he lines up at outside linebacker. He lines up at, you know, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, so many different positions. But at the end of the day, like if this guy is truly an elite pass rusher, then we need to see more of his elite pass rushing skills. And we can't just keep going back to he's such a disruptive player. Um, I, I, I'm going to be a little bit defensive of Clowney here because I think he's playing at a uh, different position and level than Watt. We all compare him to Watt, but Watt dictates what happens on that defensive line, the defensive front, and what side he's lining up on. Uh, so Clowney's kind of playing second fiddle. And yesterday their numbers were pretty close. Uh, I think uh, they each had a TFL and a sack. And I think Watt had two tackles and uh, Clowney had a tackle. Um, and I think that was a lot to do with just the the passing scheme that the uh, Broncos went with. And that's we saw they went to a lot of short dumps to the tight ends. Probably what the Texans should think about doing um, with our offensive line woes and, and running woes. Um, and I think there just wasn't a whole lot of, you know, five and seven step drops that they could really make a difference with. You know, they did stuff the run. They had, I think, uh, Broncos had under 80 yards rushing, um, you know, and so I won't judge him on a game like that game just because I think the scheme had a lot to do with it. Um, and his stats were right up there with Watts whenever Watts the one dictating uh, what side he's rushing in on. It's not just this game, though, and, and I want to make that very clear. It's it's the fact that he disappears for two or three quarters and then just you know maybe has a play here or there. But it, it's more about the lack of consistent play from Clowney that bothers me. It's not about one individual game. It's really just about the fact, like, I get it. Watt lines up wherever he wants. Uh, you know, he, he goes to the weaker side. You know, JJ's done that ever since he's been here. That doesn't matter. Like, you still, if you're an elite pass rusher, you are going to make a impact. And if that's not going to happen on a consistent basis, I don't understand how he is considered to be elite. Go ahead, John. All right. You're looking at Clowney wrong. He's not an elite pass rusher. It's more that he's an elite disruptor. They use him to kind of move blockers around. They move to see who's going to follow Clowney to free up other rushers. It's the same as taking somebody like Vince Wilfork and trying to judge him on how many sacks and 
he got per game. With Clowney, they're literally just moving moving blockers. He's consistently double teamed and even triple teamed. When they move him up the middle, it frees up the edges. When they move him to the edge, he can usually, especially when he puts his hand in the ground, he can usually split a double team. Can't really split a triple team, especially when he's getting hit from three directions. But at the same time, when that happens, Merciless gets freed up, Watt gets freed up, uh, Duke Edgefor would get freed up. That's how you use Clowney. He's used as a chess piece, not as necessarily the one that gets all the stats. And that's actually a, cr- a lot of credit to Clowney because they can see when that happens. Players that actually see and respond to watching the, the blockers follow him are actually playing as team players. It's kind of the knock on JJ where JJ always played selfishly because he would move himself to a, into a position where he got better matchups where Clowney is taking on the better blockers and it frees them up for other players to, to take on easier assignments. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with that take, you know, Clowney, you can't judge him just on stats alone. Um, I think he is an elite flash rusher because he takes so much focus off, you know, the, they have to put two guys on him um, and you can't just block him with the tight end. He's just going to crush them. What I think he's just so amazing at is whenever they, they let him run freely, you know, whenever they run to the opposite side, he's generally the first Texan to get to the backside of that run play and make a tackle. Um, that's how JJ got hurt, right? He was like, Clowney was so fast that his leg whipped right into uh, Jonathan Joseph. Like, I, like you just can't – he is a pe- better player away from the line than people give him credit for. And I think, you know, he really does make a lot of tackles downfield. Um, I, I, he is an elite pass rusher if he was the only pass rusher on that, on that defensive line. But I think they're, they're fine with him just clogging that inside – or clogging the outside on one of those lines and taking two or three folks at a time. Where I, one where I will criticize him is just the, the silly penalties, the lining up in the neutral zone one to two times a game. Um, he just, I don't understand that one. Like uh, to me, that just he literally looks. You look down at the ball. He's on the end. It's that. It's that simple. And he just the the silly penalties that and you know you know he basically costs us a game with a fifteen yard penalty. That's my only really really. Um, you know, knocks on him. And I think it does take a lot for someone with that much talent. I mean, he's like the LeBron James body of, of, you know, defensive end. It's just, you can't think of any other thing to add to it. He's the sliders are all the way up in Madden Uh, for him to take a second fiddle a Watt and take it and do those dirty work plays and not have to worry about that pass rush. I think that says a lot about him as he's grown up, as he's been with the team. Um, I would love to see, um, you know, them get him more involved with the pass rush, but I think they're glad to not have him, even focus on that. I understand that like he, he opens it up for everybody else. I totally get that. And, and that's, that's fine. But like for the people that make the argument, like he's getting doubled every play and it's like, okay, great. Elite pass rushers are going to face double teams. It's going to happen. And he's got to find a way to deal with those and get through. I understand that he is a athletic freak and he is very freaking good. Maybe my frustrations aren't even with Clowney. Maybe it's more of how we use Clowney. I would prefer for Clowney to just only line up at the defensive end position, have Watt on the other side, and then have Merck on whatever side it is, and just go after the quarterback. I think if you do that, I think we're going to get more production and 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 just a better overall defense, in my opinion. But who am I? I'm not a defensive coordinator. Again, to just re- just to kind of reiterate my points is – your argument of he should be able to beat the double teams 
Go back and watch the tape. It's the type of double teams that he takes on. He'll take on a guard and a tackle. Whereas usually elite pass rushers will put themselves in a position where they're taking on a tackle and a tight end or a tight end and a running back. Clowney legitimately does the dirty work. And I I see where you're trying to come from. He Clowney honestly has, whether it's it's his decision or the coaching's decision, somebody has decided that he is more important to try and take out as many blockers as he can. And he also has this kind of face sometimes where he gets lined up and double teamed or triple teamed. And he just kind of has this look of like, Oh, fuck it. Where he's going to get their attention and he's just going to do enough to get their attention, but he's not really going to fight through them. But at the same time, can you kind of, can you really blame him? I mean, if it was on the edge instead of on the interior, you'd be a little bit more, I can understand being a little bit more pissed off. But when you're trying to take on three guys from the interior, when you're supposed to be an outside linebacker, I would probably be like, oh, fuck it as well. Even in Madden. I think I think they also scheme, like, the fact that they scheme him differently whenever we don't have great linebacker play. And I think you can make that pretty clear because he doesn't, he doesn't make that effort to get to the backfield a lot because he's literally just trying to stuff uh, run lanes, I think. Um, and I've, I've kind of watched, I need to go back and like look at some game tape from past games to see other games where Cunningham wasn't part of. But I, I, look, I think that's the output of, you know, people were griping, you know, JJ was jumping for the pass rather than rushing to the pass. You know, the altitude has a lot to do with that taking plays off as well. But at the same time, without that linebacker play, it was more, once it gets past that first level, it's 10 to 12 yards into the safeties. Um, you know, so I think they were more worried about just stuffing that run than they were about, um, about getting sacks. Well, and that's fine. That's fine. I, I think my, the biggest point I, I'm, I'm trying to make here is the fact that if this guy's going to be franchise tagged and he's going to make $18 million or whatever the franchise tag would end up being, this guy has to be a monster continuously. Like it, uh, I, I, it doesn't matter anymore. Like I, I, I truly don't care what the argument is, whether it be a scheme thing, whether it be double teamed by a guard and a tackle or, you know, whatever it would be at this point of his career. Well, I mean, we're talking about year five coming up. He has to be a monster moving forward. And the fact that we're not seeing a monster normally is what is frustrating for me because the talent is there. The potential is there. He's healthy. Like he should be able to just completely tear a new asshole into the tackle and guard at times. And I know at times he is able to fend off the double teams and I get it. And he, he is so quick. And I know that lining him up at linebacker and sending him on a blitz blitz is, is overwhelming for an offense. But it's like if you were to give this guy one position and say, hey, master this position and then have Watt on the opposite side, there, that's that's going to spell trouble for the opposing offense. And the fact that we're not even considering that when we've seen and the stats are there that he is a better pass rusher when his hands are in the dirt, uh, it just to me, it's it's. It's not maximizing one of your best players. You say that he's not being a monster, but I mean, just look at the reaction of a lot of defensive minded analysts out there. They consistently say that he's one of the best players in the league. And this is because of his flexibility. Yeah. He's not going out and getting crazy stats. I think that if they said, Hey, just go get crazy stats, be you know, a Duke edge of four on steroids where you're just going to be a, a specialist pass rusher. He could, 
but that takes away a good portion of his game. And again, he, he opens it up for a lot of other people. And right now when we're winning, yeah, keep doing what he's doing. If we were still losing, then I would be on your side. Let the man go get, go get the sex. Let the man go get the, uh, go get the fame. But right now he's doing the dirty work and we're winning. So to me, that's, what's more important. Yeah, no, I get that. And and it's, it's not about providing sacks. It's not about things like that. It, it, when you're, we've seen it with JJ, even when he doesn't get to the quarterback, when he's close enough to the quarterback, he makes an impact. And if, if Clowney and Watt could just, if they could do that together, I feel like we would be in a, we would be winning these games in a much better fashion. I, I don't care what the draft Knicks or the, uh, Bald, Baldingers or the Matt Waldmans of the world say about Jadavian Clowney based on what I've seen and, and the way he is being utilized. I just think that he could be utilized in a better manner and we could get more out of him. And uh, we're, we're never going to see eye to eye on Clowney. It, it is what it is. I just, I feel like we're, we're not maximizing what he could truly be. And we've spent 25 minutes on Jadavian Clowney. So we're going to move on, but I just want I got one thing to add right before we get there. I completely understand where you're coming from because he's going to get elite pass rusher money. And elite pass rushers have a certain set of stats, TFLs, sacks, you know, tackles overall. And so I think I completely agree that we should probably do. I'm not, you know, Romeo is a great defensive co- coordinator, obviously. Um, and I do believe that he is that gifted and special that he can do whatever we need to do. I see it from both sides. John, I completely understand he does all the dirty work. Um, but again, if we're going to be paying 18 to $20 million a year for an elite pass rusher, hopefully we get the stats that come along with that. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. All right, let's get to special teams, which is just becoming a, a, a consistent, uh, a consistent part of what we're doing here. And it's consistent play. We haven't given up a big special teams touchdown. I mean, yeah. Okay. The Titans game, that was more catching us off guard, but uh, the special teams play just continues to improve. The tackling is so much better. Um, our, our gunners are absolutely amazing. I would like to see Tyler Irvin just a little, just maybe get a little, like take one a little further back. Um, I wish that he would stop running outside as much as he does uh, on punts. Yesterday he returned one in the middle and he, he I think he gained like 20, 22 yards or something like that. So uh, that was awesome to see. But I mean, John, is it, are we overstating the the fact that Brad Seeley has brought competent special teams play to this team? It's it's craziness to tell you the truth. Uh, just getting, I think it comes back to the whole off season, the uh, the joke about alignment. We are actually we sign players with the actual intent of them playing special teams, and then you go out and you get a professional special teams coach. This is it's been an amazing turnaround and. The fact that we are actually not losing games because of special teams, we're winning games because of special teams, is just, it's mind, mind-blowing. Um, even though the uh, Kami Fairbairn missed kick almost, <laughs> almost caused us a whole lot of stress. But still, I mean, what can you say compared to how we've always been when it comes to special teams? They're they're beyond solid. I, our punt, our punt coverage, that alone, just the ability to continue, continuously flip the field. And Tyler Irvin, he's actually frustrating as all hell as a returner because he always seems like he's about one move away from breaking one off. And he hasn't done it yet. So how many times can you be this close to breaking one off before it happens? But I think it's going to happen sooner than later. 
No, I agree. I agree. That, to be clear, this was another uh, Trevor Daniel issue with the extra point. If you actually look, the laces were facing towards um, they were facing towards Fairbairn, so the laces actually weren't out, Dan. Uh, as most people would say, but no, you're right. I mean, special teams is definitely uh, a bright spot on this team. It's not something we expected. It's also not something we're used to. I mean, I can't think of a time where we would even talk about special teams. If anything, we're when we're talking about special teams in the past, it's typically, uh, hey, can we fix the special teams? But yeah, you're right. I mean, if the special teams continues to do what they're doing, and this is a, a sign of what's to come for the special teams in the future, it's great. Uh, we put a heavy uh, emphasis on signing players that were going to make an impact on special teams and uh, they're doing it and they're executing it properly. And it, it's what we, what we need to continue to stay competitive. And you're right again, like we have not lost a game because of special teams. And I can't think of a season where we've been able to say that in the past. So um, you're, it, it's a great thing. It, it truly is. And it, hopefully this continues to go the way it's going. Uh, let's get to coaching. Uh, should we should we start with uh, with uh, Bill, Bill O'Brien saying uh, good job, Vance, you dumb fuck? Dude, I love it. I love it. If he, if he really I said it, I love it. I hope he did. There'll, you'll, there'll never be any too. truth to it. And I'm sure that over the next week when everybody runs out of things to say, they're going to they're going to torch him. And if things go wrong in Houston over the offseason, they'll torch him for it. Because this is one of those things that will never die. But damn it, I love it. I, I really do. I mean, I don't let's know what be honest. Like, yeah, no, I mean, look, Vance, you are a dumb fuck. Like, <laughs> Bill O'Brien is right. He's just saying what the rest of the Denver Broncos fans are thinking right now, anyways. Like, you are an awful head coach. You should not be there. John Elway is an awful general manager. He should not be there. That team and that franchise is just in a bad spot considering how much talent they actually have. And Bill O'Brien just said what everybody in the world was thinking. You're an absolute idiot. I know that he was on uh, Pro Football Focus or something like that with uh, somebody, and he basically said he did not say that. Look, he's not going to come out and be like, yeah, no, that's actually exactly what I said. I mean, he is a true dumb fuck. But uh, look, it doesn't matter. Like you said, we're never going to know exactly what he said. But it's amazing that we caught it, and it's pretty hard to go against what you're seeing his mouth say. (laughs) it's pretty much right there. Like that's what he said. And good for you, Bill O'Brien as, as uh, fans of you and what we think of you as a coach. I thought that was just an awesome thing to see. I, I love it. I, Bill O'Brien calls a turd a turd. I'm very much the same way. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Um, he knows he got away with one. Um, they know that, uh, you know, they did just enough to win, but uh, they could have easily lost and it could have been the other way. I think they still would have been okay with the outcome just because, you know, six, you know, five wins in a row would have been very nice. But at the end of the day, a win's a win in the NFL. And, you know, JJ says it's hard to get a win and any win you take. Um, you know, one thing I, again, in just a testament to Bill O'Brien call a turd a turd, you know, one of the first questions asked of him in his presser was, you know, um, do you guys make it a point to get Deshaun Watson the ball? I'm paraphrasing here. And he's like, of course we do. Wouldn't you? He's like one of the best receivers in the league. And like just his demeanor, you know, it, it's, it's that way. It's like, he's like, he knows he got away with one and he knows that the other coach made a mistake. And he's been on that other side as well. He's lost games because of bad clock management and things like that. And that's just, that's just a competition. And if anybody gets butthurt about this, then they'd have never played football because the things that are said on that field, and then the guys come together and shake hands after the game. And a lot of meme, come, you know, in like high school and high, they go in the middle of the field and pray. You know, that's just the when you're on the field in that heat of the moment, you're going to say some things. You just got to let it roll off your back. If this, you know, if the Stephen A. Smiths of the world or Skip Bayless of the world want to make this a big deal, 
that that's when you know you live in a privileged society that you can worry about those no, silly agree. things. I agree. Yeah, I mean, there's honestly probably a recording out there of exactly what he said. He probably didn't say it. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I think it's awesome if he did, because exactly he calls a turd a turd. And it's one of those things that Bill O'Brien kind of comes from that whole philosophy that you got to put yourself in a position to be lucky. And regardless of what's been going on, the Texans have been putting themselves in position to be lucky. So. And they're taking advantage whenever they they do have those opportunities. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if Vance, I mean, you've got to be in position where Vance Joseph making a dumb decision wins you the game. And Hey, I'll take it. I will take it every day because I've been, we've been on the other side. We have definitely been on the other side. We're typically on the other side. So no, I agree. And I thought Bill O'Brien called a pretty solid game. I mean, I understand the frustrations for the the first down runs and uh, Brad, I, I, I kind of get where you're coming from. I understand that, you know, the stat is there of, of being 27 and one after leading at halftime and that's great and all, but at the end of the day, like if we are going to go places, we have to know that there are going to be teams that we cannot do that against. Because as we've seen throughout the season, there have been games where these teams are coming back and they sh- they they should win uh, based on the lack of aggressiveness on play calling. And when you have a quarterback that can put the ball where it needs to be and make the plays necessary, you're going to have to take your foot and put it on their neck. And um, I, I don't like the, the, the runs on first down every single time. I know it wasn't every single time, but it was enough to where me and John and my buddy Devin were thinking that we need to make a a drinking game while we were at the bar for every time that he ran a first ran on a first down that we had to take a shot because we probably all would have gotten DWIs uh, yesterday due to the fact that that was the exact game plan. And and maybe that changes when Deontay Foreman comes back, if he comes back, but uh, I, I don't like it. And I want to see that go away considering the fact that I think it was six out of those six out of like the 16 or 17 pl- first downs that we had or whatever it was were negative yards. And uh, you can't have that. You can't start second and 13 and second and 12 and expect to continue to drive down the field. So, yeah. Can we loop back to that? I kind of want to touch on this when we were talking about Deshaun. I really do think that Bill O'Brien wants him to be like a Peyton Manning. He gives him concepts and ideas and then he he's reading the defense and he's making those plays. And he's done that with every quarterback he's had. That's one reason Brock Eisweiler really struggled. Like he does, But he dumbs down the playbook with what he thinks they can handle. Um, and I don't know this for a fact. I just know this from looking at a lot of his tape and watching his coaching seminars and those sorts of things. Um, he really need, he'd rather have a smart quarterback. And that's why Ryan Mallett lost out to Hoyer, even though he missed the plane. I think if Hoyer, Ryan Mallett's a better quarterback, he's not cut, you know, that off season. Um, you know, that's why Fitzpatrick did really well here. Keenum did really well here. The smarter quarterbacks better than, you know, even ones that, uh, you know, like Webb is on special teams now, you know, he's, he's a physical talent. Um, but does he, can he read the defenses? And I think that's the important thing. And it's, it's baby steps with Deshaun, and I think if he can win with baby steps while protecting him, I think it's the whole gamut. You have to look at the whole thing because uh, we've seen what Deshaun can do whenever he lets him gunsling. Um, and so I'm giving Bill the benefit of the doubt. It, it, it's easy to do that when it's six and three. If it was you know five and four or four and five, you know he may have a different tune. But uh, you know, a wins a win and six in a row hasn't been done. It's almost come from zero and three to, to six and three since 1970. That's a that's pretty good. Uh, uh, company to be in uh you know and the stat for holding the the lead is kind of 
uh, thing. You, you want to lose like we're, the cardiologists in Houston are making a killing because all of our hearts, you know, just can't take these close games. Um, but at, at this time, it, until the record proves otherwise, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I, but I completely understand people yeah. that don't. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the bye week blues. Cause that's what we're about to go through. Unfortunately, I don't know what to do with myself on Sunday this week. Uh, I guess I'll be a father and a husband for a full 24 hours on a Sunday, but um, they, uh, uh, the bye week is here. It, it means no football for us next Sunday, at least for the Texans. And uh, right now the Dallas Cowboys are about to, to lose to the Titans. So that's, that's awesome for me. I know most people uh, that's not awesome, but I hate the Cowboys more than uh, the Titans actually getting a W. Cause I still think they're a trash team, but uh, let's get into the bye week blues. Look, this is the perfect time for this team right now. We need this uh, a lot of, a lot of injuries, lots of people hurting, uh, lots of rest needed for everybody. We need Kiki back. We need Colvin back. We need Jonathan Joseph back. We need Zach Cunningham back. We need potentially Dylan Cole, and we'll get into the IR as we have a couple of Twitter questions. But um, the bye week came right when we needed to come. It, it's nice to have the bye week in the middle of the season. If I had to ask 32 head coaches what they would when they would prefer to have the bye week I would assume that this would probably be the most ideal time Uh, I'm not sure if Bill O'Brien would feel that way right now just because we are riding a six game winning streak but I think I don't know the exact stat but I'm pretty sure there's a stat out there about I think Bill O'Brien's pretty good after buys I I can't remember and and don't hold me to that but um, I'm pretty sure he's solid after buys so yeah, what are you guys most excited about with the buy? I mean, with Deontay Foreman now, it looks like they're going to exercise this twenty-one day practice window. Um, you know, Brad, what are you what are you looking for in the bye week, and what is it that's got you the most excited? Most excited, I think, is just getting Deshaun Watson weapons. Um, you know, I think just the fact that they really only had two receiving options yesterday, and one of them only knew probably one tenth of the playbook, um, and that they still came out with a W. I, that was huge to me. Um, what I really wanted to wonder from yesterday was why um, Miller kind of took a backseat to the running game um, and why he wasn't used more in the, the passing game. So I think that's it's kind of clear that, you know, Bob's just doesn't know who he can trust at running back. Um, and again, why Irvin's not going to get involved. So I think Foreman coming back has a, the potential, even if he's a, he, he's a shell of his former self, just the fact that he's a big body and just a different back overall, and he's pretty decent out of the backfield. Uh, uh, for catching passes, um, you know, Watson, we've all been waiting so long for a quarterback and we have our franchise quarterback. And so I'm always going to be most excited about what he can do. I trust this defense to do whatever need to be done. I trust Romeo Cornell, especially, uh, you know, so just seeing this offense and the, you know, the uh, getting healthy on the offensive line, you know, they've been kind of banged up and getting guys kind of in and out of position. Uh, you know, just, I want to see, I, I, I love Bill O'Brien, I don't like these 19, 17 games any more than anybody else. Uh, I do like the win, but I want to see what we all know uh, Deshaun Watson's offense is capable of. And so hopefully after the bye, we get that healthy, get a couple of key players back and we can make it happen. And Mr. Mr. Garnet Texan, what are you ex- excited about with the bye? What is it uh, you're looking forward to? And um, I mean, is this the best time for our bye right now? Yeah. I mean, we beat Denver essentially with a skeleton team. Um, I'm, I'm assuming something was wrong with Miller because he didn't get the ball that much at all. Um, as much as we fuss about his improper usage, 
I'm going to fuss now about his lack of usage because, you know, I can. Um, but yeah, there was had to be something still going on with him. I, we need another receiver to kind of step up. Um, either Demarius Thomas getting the extra days to learn the playbook or Kiki getting healthy. Either war would be would be a great benefit. Um, hopefully both. And it's that in that regard, it's perfect timing. And then just half of our defense will probably be able to return. And at this point, we've got a lot of guys that got a lot of meaningful stat, uh, meaningful snaps while there was injuries going on. So that just kind of helps build your depth. My only concern is we won six games in a row. Like that's you, you don't win six games in the row, not unless you're a good team. And I still feel like sometimes the jury's still out on whether or not we are a good team. But, hey, I mean, just keep it going. Again, we get a chance to get healthy and kind of reload, and it's perfect time of year to have it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think I think the fact that I, I think Lamar Miller is a little banged up. I mean, he, he did miss a game. Um, so I, I would assume that that probably played a part of it. And and for everybody, it's like, uh, you know, the outside media, the national media is like, of course, they're six and three. Look at their schedule. Look, you only can play the teams that you're scheduled to play. OK, and whether you win by three or you lose by one, either way, it doesn't matter. Um, a win is a win and a loss is a loss and we've won ugly games and it is what it is, but we've won these games and now we have won six games straight and going into the bye, I couldn't ask for a better way to go into the bye. Um, this team is going to get better. They really are. They're going to get better. And you're right. I, I, I really want to touch on the point that you brought up earlier about, uh, using the tight ends more after the bye. I expect that this bye week is crucial for these young players. They, they, they're coming off of playing in the college football all the way to the combine, getting ready straight into OTAs and then training camps. Like they have not had a chance to really just heal and, and, and take the rest that they need. And I expect us to see a completely different team when this team comes back. I think the addition of Kiki is going to be a big part of what this offense wants to do. And I think Demarius Thomas is going to make an impact as well. So it's very interesting. Look, Let's get into these Twitter questions because we have quite a bit. So um, the first one is com- coming from um, Ball Bulletin now, and I'll, I'll get your guys' take on this. You can only keep one, and they become the highest paid at their position, safety and pass rusher. Do you sign t- Honey Badger or Jadavian Clowney? John, I'll let you go first. Well, here's the kind of the question. Uh, what's each one of their positions? Uh, Tyron's actually played more slack corner than safety lately. He's also played a lot of linebacker. Um, Jadavian Clowney's also played outside linebacker and defensive end. Um, you know, I'm just kind of dodging the question. Honestly, you, you've got to go with Clowney. He's younger. Um, he can, can Clowney can be a game changer, at def, um, a defensive end, pass rushing specialist if you need him to be, or he can continue to do what he does now, which makes the entire defensive line better. All right. And uh, Brad, your thoughts, if you had to sign one, uh, one and you had to make, make them the highest paid at their position, would it be Honey Badger to Davion Clowney? That's actually a really good question because of the highest paid at their position, right? The highest paid defensive pass rusher is a lot of money. Um, and so I think it, it gets a little bit more in depth like that. I mean, to me, if you had to pick one or the other, 
Clowney is a freak of nature. He is a once in a generation type body. Um, but uh, you know, he does have, um, some issues as, as you've brought up, you know, regarding that he just doesn't, uh, output. And I don't know if that costs that investment is worth the output we're seeing. He is doing the dirty work, but can we get someone cheaper to do that dirty work? Uh, so I think that's a really great question, by the way. So thanks to, uh, those on Twitter who submitted that one. Um, but, uh, you know, Honey Badger is such, I would really love to know if I could know how important Honey Badger has been into getting this safety group to play lights out like they're playing. If he's the reason for that and you're paying him less money, maybe you got to, got to offer him. So I, you know, I, I'm going to be around the middle and kind of, uh, you know, cause I think you guys are gonna be on the left and right. I could see it going either way and I wouldn't be unhappy either way. I don't think if, Honey Badger is the reason that these uh, safeties are playing lights out. Yeah, look, I mean, unfortunately, and this is probably not an answer that most people would expect from me, but if you had to choose a player to sign, it would it would be Jadavian Clowney just because of what he could potentially bring to this team and what we have seen him bring in the past. Uh, I love Honey Badger. I'm a big fan of Honey Badger as a person, and I think the leadership qualities and everything else that he brings, I don't really think you can put a price tag on. And, and you're right, Brad, like when it comes to um, who, if they're being the highest paid of their position, uh, that's a lot of money for Clowney. I mean, at that point, we're, we're talking about a massive, massive contract that's going to um, surpass Khalil and Aaron Donald. But unfortunately, at this point, it's kind of what you have to do. So I think Jadavian would be would be the, the, the go-to for that one. And thank you for the question. I really appreciate it. Next question, and I'll take this one because it's rather easy, uh, from uh, ACL or AC Lindy 81. Why can't the Cowboys stop the Titans? This one's actually pretty simple. There's two, there's two answers to this one. The Cowboys suck balls. And that's a big part, part of why that nobody, why they can't stop the Titans. But honestly, if I'm giving you a real answer, it's because Jason Garrett is an awful head coach. And even though we have our qualms with Mike Vrabel, I think he's a better head coach right now than Jason Garrett. So um, can we get uh, someone on Twitter to uh, clip that quote? Yep. The Cowboys suck balls. They do. I, I hate that team. I'm glad the Titans won. I don't care. Um, yeah. All right. The next question was is from uh, Alizin Prasla, A-L-I-Z-E-N-P-R-A-S-L-A. John, I think this will be great for you. With Deshaun Watson growing over the season as a more efficient quarterback and limiting turnovers, how much more can he improve as the season progresses? And what weakness does he still need to work on? Well, he... He has grown quite a bit, but it's still that internal time decision-making. Sometimes he needs to be a little bit quicker. Sometimes he needs to be a little bit slower. And it's contradicting, but that's kind of what makes playing quarterback in the NFL so difficult. Um, He's kind of a combination right now of Cam Newton and Brett Favre, where he thinks he can save everything if if you ask him to throw the ball. He's got to kind of come back down to earth because he is a combination of Cam Newton and Brett Favre, but it's not quite in the way that I think he always sees himself. He's not as physical as Cam Newton. So if he tries to run for every first down, he's going to get destroyed. He can't take that beating. He doesn't have the arm strength of Brett Favre, but he does have their same mentality and you want to keep that. You just want him to get more game experience and more reps. So he knows when to get rid of the ball quicker when he knows when to just throw the ball away and not take a hit at all. And he he's learning. Um, we just need to see him kind of get back to that same awareness that he even had last year where 
You always seem to know when to get down last year to avoid the the big hit. This year, coming back from the injury, I think he's just playing a little bit slower, and he still hasn't quite gotten there, but he is he is getting there. And then just the jump this year on intermediate passes, that has just been absolutely insane. Um, Car- or Jordan Palmer, when we talked about him, he said that that number was going to go way up because of just fixing his mechanics. And he was right. It absolutely has skyrocketed. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And and that, that's kind of why I went to you on this. Um, so very good question. It's a very good question. I'm sure it's a question that all Texans fans are going to have because this is not something we're used to. So thank you for asking that. Uh, next question. Can I just give a little something there? Sorry to jump in. Um, just, I don't know if you guys have seen the mic'd up where uh, Bill O'Brien, where he was like, he reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers. Well, he needs to be watching a lot of Aaron Rodgers tape right now because they, they mentioned that the Aaron Rodgers leading the leagues in throwaways because of his knee. Um, and he just needs to, I think, just, again, get that internal timer. Hey, if it's three-step drop play and it's not there, just throw it out of bounds. Um, you know, no yards is better than negative yards. Um, so I, hopefully he is watching a lot of Aaron Rodgers tape and watching how he's been getting rid of the ball. I know they're struggling, but that's more Mike McCarthy than Aaron Rodgers. Um, so uh, I just wanted to pop in with that. Yep. No, good point. Good point. Uh, next question comes from maybe the best user Twitter name I've ever seen, which is Sunny Side Up, babe. Uh, I think that's an amazing Twitter name. Um, who do we want to face in the playoffs? And I think that's a good question because I think right now um, there's a lot of good teams. And obviously the Chiefs would not be the team that we want to play. The Chargers scare the me a little bit. I, hold on, John. Let me get there. God <laughs> damn it. God. <laughs> Why you gotta be stealing my thunder? Anyways, listen, uh, who do we want to face in the playoffs? Since John just chimed in right in the middle of me asking the question and going through my reads. Look, I, I think the Bengals would definitely be the team. Honestly, I, I think it's any team in that division. Uh, I, I know Pittsburgh people are, are super scared of Pittsburgh. Um, I, I'm not actually scared of Pittsburgh. I think we can shut down the run pretty well. And um, I think we have a better offense offense uh but yeah if i had to choose one team it would be the Bengals, and it looks like we are all in agreement that it would be the Bengals. so there's no reason to continue down that one um actually i'm gonna say the patriots you gotta beat the best to be the best yeah, but they're um, not the best but until this team learns how to beat the patriots then it really doesn't matter who we be in the playoffs because i think the patriots just can always be in that yeah i'd, I'd rather make the afc championship and play the patriots even if we lose the AFC championship um, instead of losing to the playoffs in the first round. And that's kind of how I took the question is who do you want to play first and who I want to play first is, is the Bengals. Um, Okay. Then we can all, because I just, I want to go as deep as possible. Um, Obviously I'd rather win all of them, but you know, I'd rather play the Patriots conversation. I had, I had this conversation today. I, 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 I'm not buying the Patriots this year. And I know that's like, but um, they're having to rely on a lot of different things this year than, than what they've done in the past. And there's a lot of new parts of their offense. And I, I, I am not, I don't think that they are the Patriots that people are thinking they are. I know they have a good record and I know that it's Tom Brady and it's Bill Belichick, but I actually think that the Chiefs would be the one team that I'm truly scared of in the playoffs. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that just that offense is just so high powered that I I don't know right now with the way this team is constructed with the absence of Will Fuller that we could compete with them on the offensive level. Now our defense is better, so I'm sure we can hold them a little bit, but I just don't see anybody in the league holding the Chiefs 
back on offense and they, they, they scare me a little bit. So um, sunny, sunny side up, Beb. I thought that was a, a really, really good question to be honest with you. I know we're, we're only in, at week nine, but uh, that was a good question. Uh, next question would come, it comes from uh, Tommy white man. Uh, which two players should they bring back from the IR? Brad, I'll start with you. I think, you know, we're, um, you know, with the struggle as a linebacker core, I think Cole returning, is just super important. Um, I think Cole and Foreman are the Sherlock's. You know, we're we're we need something dynamic out of the backfield, even if it's just a passing option. Um, and then I think just the linebackers are our only weak, real weak spot on the entire defense. And so those would be my votes. And John, actually, Foreman how about you? Foreman doesn't Foreman doesn't count against the IR. Correct. So oh, okay. So you can choose another guy if you'd like. Uh, go for it. I'll I'll see if I want to piggyback off yours and take credit. Fair enough. Um. As much I want it to be Cole, I'm kind of afraid that they won't bring him back because he does have a little bit of an injury history. Um, rumors seem to be that it's the uh, Jermaine Kelly, which I don't quite get. He didn't play at all in the preseason, but rumors seem to be it's going to be Jermaine Kelly or Kevin Johnson. I mean, if you have to put it like that, I think I'd almost rather have Jermaine Kelly because we kind of know what we're going to get with Kevin Johnson. Um. But those seem to that seems to be the rumors coming out. But also our rumors are always and the whispers are always wrong. Yeah, no, and I I, I, I somewhat agree with both of you. I think that Dylan Cole is is pretty much the the known answer for this that we would want to bring back, and that's who I would they should bring back from IR. But um, I think before we cut him, and I still think it's a mistake, which we we haven't really touched on. Uh, I would have brought Bruce back, Bruce Ellington back from the IR and just seeing if we could at least finish the season with him. Uh, he has a good understanding of this offense and, and given what Kiki has shown with his injury history so far this season, I think if you could use, you could use Bruce in the spots that are needed and he's definitely a target, a favorite target for Deshaun. So it would have been Deshaun or Bruce Ellington and uh, Dylan Cole, but since Bruce is not an option, uh, he actually worked out for the Lions the other day. Um, I would actually go Kevin Johnson, and here's why. Uh, Fifth-year option is next year, if I remember correctly. We have to make the decision. Um, I would rather see Kevin Johnson come back healthy and, and try to put something together than us cut him and not and decline his option and him figure out a way to play. Um, we He's shown potential at times, and it's been a long time since we've seen it. Um, but I would rather roll the dice and see what we can do with Kevin Johnson than what we could do with Jermaine Kelly, because we've seen that, that, uh, Kevin Johnson has had potential at times and showed glimpses of it. So if maybe he can get back to that and maybe this, maybe this time off now has helped him, um, decide what kind of corner he is. Cause that's really his biggest problem. Then I think that would be the best option in my opinion. So, um, that's a very good question, Tommy. I really appreciate it. I thought that was, uh, probably one of the excellent. Hey, James, can I actually give my final answer? Because I kind of danced yeah. around it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if if I actually got to choose and not actually knowing the extent of their injuries, I'd actually take Dylan Cole and Kayvon Webster. I think Cole plugs the uh, the biggest hole we currently have in our defense. And Webster's only on a one-year deal. And he, for two plays, showed more than we've seen out of Kevin Johnson. I I'm honestly just kind of over Kevin Johnson. Yeah, I just don't know how Kevin Johnson's going to learn how to tackle in six, you know, since his time on the IR, and that's his big strength. He, it's going to take a full off season of working out and hiring a coach or the Texans, you know, coaching him off season 
Um, you know, his his build is not just for him to roll, throw his body around like his Kareem Jackson's. Like he's just not built that way. And uh, so it's I don't think we're really going to see much better from him mid, after a midseason IR. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely possible, but I would rather I would rather take the risk just considering what we invested in him as a player than what we invested in Jermaine Kelly. But that that's just my thoughts. Um, I can see that way because at least, you know, at the end of the season, maybe you'd know better whether you just wash your hands and move right. on or, or to give them. Exactly. Time. Exactly. So. All right, guys. Well, th- that was all the questions. John, I didn't miss one, did I? Uh, nope. Okay, cool. No, great questions, guys. Very, very good questions. Uh, those were uh, those were much better than I expected. So I, I really appreciate it. Uh, that's going to be it for the Texans Unfiltered um, this week. And uh, Brad, thanks for joining. It was it was nice to have you on. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll have you on more in the future. It's looking that way. Uh, so so we really appreciate you hopping on and and having these conversations with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been fantastic. Um, you know, I. I really uh, do appreciate what you guys have done over the you know the last two years building this building up this uh, audience and and separating yourselves from the other uh, podcasts out there. Uh, I think you know the Texas audience, the Texans audience is really thirsting for real football knowledge and not just the uh, sound bites and the the usual quips. And I think you guys fill that void, and I'd love to be a part uh, of it. No problem. Yeah, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Uh, so a couple things real quick that we're going to recap. So new things coming for Texans Unfiltered. Obviously, you guys can now find us on every single podcast platform, which is one of the biggest things that I promised you guys from the beginning is that we would be everywhere, and we are now officially everywhere. We are on YouTube. We are on Spotify. We are on Pocket Cast. We are literally on every single podcast platform that is known to man. So uh, we did that for you guys. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate that you listen. We appreciate that you support us in the way that you guys have from the beginning. And this is just going to continue to be a good thing. Uh, make sure that you guys uh, join our Discord. I will pin the Discord link at the uh, my, uh, I guess it's called the homepage on Twitter basically the front page of my Twitter. You'll see it. You can click that link, download the Discord app. We can have conversations about Texans at any given time. I typically say I'm going to bed early and then I'm on my phone until about 2 a.m. So if you guys ever have any questions and, and you want somebody to answer them or you just want to have a conversation about the Texans, the Discord chat will be that. And we will also use that for... Um, game day discussions as well we will be on twitch um here i would say potentially next week most likely the week after that uh, we will be doing live streams on youtube as well so they won't just be the audio recordings the website should potentially be up by the end of next week and we will be building new things for our patrons as we move forward so um, with that being said uh signing off for texans unfiltered i am young ari gold for brad And my boy, John Wade, the Garnet Texan, we will catch you guys next week. I hope you guys enjoy the bye week. We will have a, a podcast next week. So until then, you guys, we will holla.